As I started going down that rabbit hole and learning about neurotransmitters, of course, as a functional medicine practitioner, I realized that there's ways that we can support entrepreneurs and support their chemistry and create an awareness for them in such a way that allows them to take ownership of how they steer their business. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. Most motivational books and speakers focus on principles of success, which is why I'm so excited for today's episode with Sachin Patel on the biology of success. You see, some people, including highly successful entrepreneurs, are wired a certain way. And you may be wondering, how are these people able to make it look so easy? What makes them tick? And how can I tap into that same magic? So Sachin Patel is the proud founder of the Living Proof Institute, through which he pioneered a revolutionary approach to patient-centric healthcare. And he's been coaching hundreds of practitioners around the world, empowering to them to deliver affordable and inspired care through his Perfect Practice Mentorship Program. So Sachin, welcome on the show. Well, Uli, thank you. This has been a long time coming. I'm excited for our conversation today and to inspire all of you that are out there listening to take action that moves you in the direction of your dream. So thank you for this opportunity to connect about this. Of course. Now, one of the key topics on this podcast is motivation. And so I wanted to start with your book, The Motivation Molecule, about the biological secrets to eliminate procrastination, skyrocket productivity, and as you said, get shit done. What prompted you to write it? Really, one of the things that I learned about myself when I did a genomic test was that I was wired in a certain way that I felt was optimized for entrepreneurship. So looking at my executive function on this DNA test helped me realize that I don't make a ton of dopamine. And what I do make, I process it very quickly. And so I'm always looking for things that are going to raise my dopamine levels. And what I found for me was business, right? Entrepreneurship was that some people are addicted to alcohol, but I became addicted to entrepreneurship and being of value and to being of service to other people. And what I also learned about myself is that I metabolize my stress hormones very quickly. So from a genetic standpoint, and a genomic standpoint, I have a higher resilience to stress and things that can emotionally destroy somebody mm -hmm. who doesn't have their pathways aligned this way. I am able to deal with stress and it's like water off a duck's back. And so, you know, kind of clued me into this idea. I'm like, I wonder if this is a formula or a recipe or if there's opportunity to explore entrepreneurship from a biochemical level, from a genomic level, from a nutrition level. And as I started going down that rabbit hole and learning about neurotransmitters, of course, as a functional medicine practitioner, I realized that there's ways that we can support entrepreneurs and support their chemistry in such a way and create an awareness for them in such a way that allows them to take ownership of how they steer their business. And so, you know, that really was what primed me to write the book and looking at motivation from a variety of different angles looking at it from a chemical perspective, looking at it from a mm -hmm. genomic perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a personal development perspective. 
So I was excited to kind of approach this topic from a variety of different angles. And in knowing how dopamine works and how it makes us feel good, it's also important to note that it also is a way to make our clients feel good about what we do. So we can interject little hits of dopamine for our clients through our business. And I know a mutual friend of ours, Megan, has been doing a lot of discussion about this topic. So I find this topic very, very fascinating and very interesting because it helps us understand ourselves better. It helps us understand our clients better, and it allows us to create extraordinary experiences for people, especially ourselves. Yeah, I love that. And just for the non-practitioner audience out there, why don't we quickly talk about why dopamine is the motivation molecule? And then we can certainly talk about maybe the drivers and drainers of dopamine from a practical perspective. Absolutely. Dopamine is a very unique molecule. It actually has many functions, but three of those functions I think are relevant to entrepreneurs and really everyone who's looking into going to that next level. So dopamine is what helps us initiate movement. So when we don't feel like moving, when we feel like when we know we should get up and exercise, and we may even have the energy to exercise. However, what we might be lacking is that ability to initiate movement. So it's easier for us to sit on the couch and stay there if we don't have adequate dopamine production. So dopamine literally helps us get off our butt and take action. So people who have very low dopamine production of Parkinson's have a very hard time initiating activity. So they take this like shuffling gait. And so it can feel like that in entrepreneurship. If we don't have enough dopamine, we can feel like we have this shuffling gait and we're really not, uh, even though we know we should do something, sometimes we don't do it. The next thing that dopamine does is it helps us stay focused. So in order for us to actually accomplish a task, we have to be able to stay focused to actually finish it and see it through to completion. So dopamine helps us keep our attention focused on one thing or as few things as possible. The third thing that dopamine does is helps us feel a sense of reward. And so with entrepreneurship, especially in a digital business or an online business like you and I have, we don't always see the fruits of our labor. We don't always get to hold the fruits of our labor, right? It's a two-dimensional product that we deliver to people. And sometimes we work on really long projects that have a very long loop. So big loops that need to be closed. And so dopamine helps us feel a sense of reward when those loops are closed. So if somebody's dopamine is depleted, they're not going to feel like doing anything. If they do muster up the courage to do something or the energy or the motivation or inspiration to do it, they usually are not going to be able to stay focused. And even if they are able to get the task done, they may not feel a sense of reward. And so sometimes what a symptom of that will be is people will sabotage themselves to feel a sense of reward. So this is the person that might lose 10 pounds and the way they celebrate is by eating a cake because the cake will raise their dopamine, right? So they're yeah. celebrating to raise their dopamine, but they're using uh, you know the wrong tools to do it. So we need dopamine to initiate action, to keep us focused and feel a sense of reward. So this is why for entrepreneurs, it's important that we celebrate on a consistent basis. Even the small things are important for us to celebrate because it allows us to uh, close that loop, right? And so that's why dopamine is so important. And the other part of your question is what raises dopamine and what depletes it. And honestly, the answer is actually really basic. So it's our environment that plays a huge role. Of course, nutrition plays a role too, but our environment plays a huge role. So when you want to increase dopamine in the morning, you want to start by getting a good night's rest the night before, right? And you and I are big proponents of sleep and rest and recovery. Yeah. We both wear our aura rings and, and track these things. Exactly. So our dopamine replenish itself in the evening. 
And so in the evening and as we're sleeping, that's when we start replenishing dopamine. And in the morning is when we're primed to release it. So one way to increase dopamine production and secretion in the morning and to really get the day started off right is 10 minutes to 15 minutes of morning sunlight. Even if it's a cloudy day, the sun is still out. It's still way brighter than being indoors. So exposure to bright light is going to tell our body it's time to wake up. And so the brightest source of light on any given day, even on a cloudy day, is going to be outside. It's about 50 to 100 times brighter outside than it ever could be indoors. So it's like a hundredfold you know, difference between indoor and outdoor lighting in terms of how intense the lighting is. Yeah. And so that's one place to start, a good night's rest. And then in terms of nutrition, the building blocks for dopamine are tyrosine, vitamin B6, and we need iron in that equation as well. So we need to make sure we're getting good B vitamins supplementally or through the food sources that we consume. We need to make sure we have enough iron because we need that as a, as, as a cofactor in making dopamine. And we need to make sure we're getting enough tyrosine, which is an amino acid that we would derive from protein. So food also plays an important role as well. And then lighting, you know, just to come back to that, we want to try to get exposure to lighting when it's bright outside. And when it's dark outside, we want to minimize our exposure to lighting. So trying to match our lighting environment with what's happening outdoors mm -hmm. is also very important in, in helping our neurotransmitters function and uh, replenish themselves optimally. So how would somebody actually know that they have low dopamine? Is it because they see they're, you know, have a low drive mm -hmm. to initiate? You and I talked about DNA testing. So why don't we talk a little bit about testing and maybe more specifically something that you mentioned a few weeks ago when we met in Toronto about DNA testing being forward looking versus so much of the typical testing is actually backward looking and maybe not that useful to guide your actions. Yeah, absolutely. So th there's a few tests that I recommend to everybody, at least those that are really close to me and people that I work with on an individual basis. One of them is genomic testing. So genomic testing is like looking through your windshield. When you're driving, we're looking forward. We have an objective of where we want to go. And we're able to cast a vision into the future, understanding how we function optimally, what conditions we function optimally, how our genome is, is uh, primed, and, and how we can use that to our advantage. So let me put it this way. If you were a sports car, you'd want to know you're a sports car. And if you are an SUV, you'd want to know you're an SUV because the tires are different, the optimal conditions for that vehicle are different, what it's designed for is different, both great cars, but if we put them in the wrong environment, they're not gonna thrive. So a 911, you know, taking that off-roading is the same thing as taking an SUV on the track and expecting that it's gonna perform optimally. So our bodies and genome are kind of the same way. If we understand that we are a sports car or an SUV or a station wagon or whatever the case may be, we can then understand what environment we need to create for us to thrive in. Mm -hmm. And also we understand what uh, roles we can play even in an organization for us to be able to thrive in. And so in knowing that we can cast a future vision, we can create a plan that helps us lean into that versus how you know traditional testing is looking backwards. So it's almost like looking in your rear view mirror we can't change what's coming up in the future, but we can make better decisions, of course, when we can look in the rear view to see what's happening. So I would say that a combination of two things. So definitely genomic testing, so we know how we can optimize your health. And secondly, uh, the test that I recommend is called a 
organic acids test. And some companies will call it something a little bit different. The one we use is called the metabolomics test. And what that test does is it looks at your metabolic function and that can tell us what neurotransmitters you're breaking down. And we can see based on the values that we're looking at and the markers that we're looking at, if you are actually making enough dopamine or if you're breaking down your dopamine too quickly. So through the urine, we can actually identify ratios that can tell us about neurotransmitter function. So that's another way for us to know as well. And the third way, which is probably the best and easiest way for us to know about our dopamine is by actually taking a test. So a really simple quiz that we can take that will list off the symptoms of dopamine deficiency, like a low drive, you know, like an inability to focus, like an inability to feel a sense of reward, perhaps craving things like chocolate. Chocolate has a compound in it called PEA, which is very resemblant to dopamine. We also might crave fatty foods or sugary foods. Those could be signs of dopamine deficiency. Addictive tendencies could be issues related to dopamine. So there's a variety of things that we look for that might help us clue in into if this is something that we need to investigate a little bit further. The genomic test, just to go back to that for a moment, is, is not just looking at dopamine, it's looking at executive function as a whole. It's looking at how to optimize sleep. It's looking at how to optimize nutrition. It's looking at how to optimize detoxification and hormone health. So we're, we're getting a, a really big 30,000 foot view of how to optimize this individual. Yeah. And speaking of that, you have heavily invested in self-development over the years and mm -hmm. you're obviously coaching hundreds of health practitioners in your perfect practice mentorship. How do you see people sabotaging their productivity and forward momentum beyond going dopamine? You know, obviously, let's say people have optimized their dopamine, but what are some of the other things that then really play a part in motivation and how people follow through with their dreams? Yeah, it's a very, very great question. And something that I've really been exploring a lot lately, because, you know, when we think about dopamine, we think of that's like a molecule, right? So it's a neurotransmitter, it's something molecular, but there's more to us than just the hardware, the things that we can measure, the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, the things we can quantify. There's a part of us that is a little bit harder to measure, and that is our unconscious mind. And a lot of people's resistance to put themselves out there can oftentimes come from unresolved childhood trauma, or it could be something that happened to them that made them feel uncomfortable about speaking in front of a crowd. It could be something that was said to them under somebody else's breath, them not even knowing what they were saying or the implications of it that is somehow embedded in their unconscious mind that prevents them from taking action right? Because when we were children, we were never afraid of screwing up. I mean, that's all we did, right? We just messed around and all our whole life was just split testing what works and what doesn't. <laughs> and then there came a point where we were told to stop, right? There came a point where maybe we were made fun of, or there came a point where our fly was down and people were laughing and we totally embarrassed ourselves. And, uh, and then we decided we were never going to do this again, right? At an unconscious mm -hmm. level. So I see that over and over again with practitioners now is when we get to the bottom of it, it's not the tools that are stopping them from success. It's not the frameworks or the strategies that's stopping them from success or taking action really, or it might not even be their chemistry that's stopping them from being successful, but it's this emotional trauma or you know some sort of experience that they've had, an adverse or negative experience that they've had that prevents them from putting themselves out there. And I've seen that 
Uh, maybe it's because I'm looking for it more now, but I've seen that come up more frequently lately. So do you, as part of your mentorship program, do you have actually a component in the program that supports practitioner on this? Or is this something that people really have to sort through before they come on board? You know, it's signing up with your team and your mentorship is actually the manifestation or the end point of having overcome that. Yeah, great question. So we actually... Very recently, we've had so many requests for people wanting support with their mental wellness mm -hmm. and practitioners especially. And practitioners are humans, just like everyone else. So the incidence of mental wellness cases and, and mental health challenges and things like that, I mean, we may have decided to become a practitioner, you know, long after we were a child, right? So what happened to us in our childhood, you know, has nothing to do necessarily with what designation or training we might have or what passion we might have to serve the world or what dharma we might have as well. So almost everyone has something there, right? That's that's potentially holding them back. So we've had so many requests to support practitioners in that way. And so we've recently implemented a mental wellness committee. So we actually have a subcommittee within our mentorship that supports people in these areas because we're again we're seeing it more and more. And we know that if we can get that unlocked for them, and provide a nurturing environment, then all the tools just seem to click a little bit better. All the strategies seem to work a little bit better. They're yeah. putting themselves out there more confidently. So they're resonating with their audience uh, much more and more authentically, and they're being more vulnerable. So all of the attributes that they acquire from shedding that old story really helps them shine in the world. So we're realizing more and more that that needs to be part of what we offer people. And, and what was really cool about it is that we had about 15 practitioners from our community raise their hand and volunteer to be of service in this area. So there's a very gifted people in our community that are helping and, and so willing to help practitioners in this regard. And so we've included that as part of our process now because we see and realize how important it is. Aside from things that we can measure, it's the things that we can't measure sometimes that are holding them back. Yeah, I love what you, I think, posted earlier in the week on social media that when you go into a new venture, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily what you need to acquire next, but it's like what you have to let go first in order to make this space uh, moving forward, which, you know, ties back to a recent podcast with Pila Gerasimo, where we talked about, you know, why are people stuck in making change? And, you know, her point is that society and your past history put so much pressure on you that cognitively you have zero reserves left. You're totally depleted. And it's no wonder that telling people, hey, you need to go through this functional medicine program. You have to change everything. is just too much for people to process. Mm -hmm. And so that the first step has to be actually awareness. Hey, not your fault. It's society and the structures that make it really hard to stay focused. They deplete your dopamine. They make you feel guilty. And second, you have to first fill the hole and you know address the depletion before you can move into a new arena. So I love you know how this all ties together about you know helping people. The first step is probably helping people realize it's not just about starting all kinds of new things in the first place, but really take care of your physiology of your neurotransmitters and and you know replenish that part before moving on. Yeah. Bringing up social media, I think is an important topic to touch on because I'm sure you come across this as well with the practitioners and clients that you work with. They might say, I don't like social media, right? That might be what they say, or I hate social media. And the first thing I ask them 
where I point out to them is that you realize that it's simply a mirror. It's a reflection of what you give attention to. So nothing shows up on your feed at this point, if you've been using it for a while, unless you allow it there. And even then you have the opportunity to unfollow people. You don't have to unfriend them, but you can unfollow them. You can guide Facebook or you can guide your social platforms to tell you what you want to see more or less of. So you can actually learn to love it. And you can actually use social media to raise dopamine. We think of social media as something that depletes us from dopamine, but it's a tool. It's how you use it. So I actually use dopamine or use social media to raise my dopamine and other people's dopamine by commenting on their posts, by acknowledging them for the work that they do, by sending private messages and saying, hey, I see what you're doing. Keep going. It's not only inspiring to me, but I'm sure it's inspiring to others. And guess what? That actually raises my dopamine. Yeah, I can totally see that. So we don't have to... We don't have to feel depleted when we use tools. We should feel rejuvenated and regenerated, but it's how we use it, right? It's like a hammer. A hammer can build a wall or it can break one down. Yeah, absolutely. It's the tool and it's it's how we use that tool that makes a lot of sense. So all good points. I love it. What are some of the other things that you recommend to your mentees to enhance productivity and getting shit done? <laughs> well, Aside from, of course, our chemistry and our environment is our community and the circle of friends that we keep. And so what's really important, especially for those that are in mentorships or those that are following other people online, really following but being inspired by other people online, I always want them to remember that you're not seeing the whole picture. And I say that because when you see somebody on social media, you're just seeing one facet of what they do to build and grow their business, right? And that's the only connection you have with that person is on social media. So you're just seeing one loop in the Velcro that makes their business sticky. What you're not seeing is you're not seeing the emails they're sending. You're not seeing the newsletters that they're typing up. You're not seeing the business meetings that they're having. You're not on the Zoom calls that they're having to build relationship and connection. You're not there seeing the handwritten cards that they're putting out there the gifts that they might be wrapping. So you're only seeing a very narrow window of what's going on with them. And what that should do is pique your curiosity. So there's a phrase that we've all heard of, comparison kills joy, right? However, curiosity creates connection. So what we found is that we've set up an environment in our community where we want people to be inspired by other people who might be on their chapter 20 of their story but if they're at their chapter one, then instead of letting that kill their joy and living in comparison, how can you live in curiosity and know that, hey, it may have taken them 20 years to write 20 chapters, but they can show me how to do it in three. And that curiosity will build that connection and allow them to grow to that next level. And here's what happens from a dopamine perspective is if we can see a goal that somebody else has attained, it makes it much more realistic for us. If that person can do it, you can do it. And if that person can show you how to do it or guide you on how to do it, then you can do it fa even faster than they did it. They get a hit of dopamine because they're helping someone. And you get a hit of dopamine because now you have focused action that you can take and you can already know what it's like to celebrate that because you're emulating the success that somebody else has had. There's so much to be said about having the right community and the right people that you surround yourself with. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously beyond just the person teaching and the person receiving, there's also social proof built in that 
in your community, you have dozens and dozens of practitioners that are maybe at chapter 13 and 15 that all chime in as well and saying, keep going. And as you said, help people collapse time and get things done in three years rather than in 20 years. And I think this brings it back to something that you are fond of quoting, the heart versus, no, was it the lame versus elf? You know, you want something that's easy, lucrative and fun. And I think your structure with perfect practice and the mentorship makes this so much more attainable for people around the world. So can we briefly talk about your community, how people can get involved, where they can get started if they're curious and maybe who it's exactly for uh, or who can benefit most from it? Yeah, well, thank you for that opportunity. So here's who I like working with. Here's who does well working in our community. Somebody who's heart-centered, somebody who loves to be collaborative and cooperative and also has an abundance mindset because our community loves to share. So we love to create resources and then pool them together and share them with one another. So we want someone who has a giver's gain type of mentality. We also look for people who may not necessarily know exactly who they wanna help. Okay, sometimes we have to help people figure that out. I know you help people figure that out. Like who exactly do you wanna serve? But they know that they want to serve people with love, with compassion, with empathy. They want to emulate great leadership. They want to either have a brick and mortar or an online practice. They want systems that make their life more efficient. And also they want processes that are repeatable. They want success that's repeatable. And what we also try to teach people is our practitioners that we coach is how do you package your knowledge into a system that somebody else can operate? So that way it's easy to, like, if you want to help a lot of people, it's not going to happen by you alone. And so if you could systemize what you do and put it in and package it up into a process so that other practitioners or health coaches can run it and get very similar, if not identical results to you, then that allows you to really make an impact and help as many people as possible. So systemize what you do and create a process around it is what we also teach our practitioners. So we provide coaching in, in a variety of different areas. We provide one-on-one -on -one coaching. They get accountability groups. There's large group trainings that we do. There's clinical mentorship that we provide. And we also provide mindset mentorship and coaching as well. So we try to try to kind of tackle it from every angle that we can think of to help them be successful. Yeah, having witnessed the growth of your community and what you've built, it's an amazing thing that you and your team have Put together. So where can people go to find out more? And I'll give you the final word how to close this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So if they want to learn more about our mentorship program, they can go to perfectpracticementorship.com. Maybe in the show notes, we'll share a special link that you can click on. And, you know, we're always here to help. We're always here to jump on a quick practice audit to see if anyone has any questions on how we can support them. And if we are the right fit, then we'd love to honor that. And if we are not the right fit, then we have a community of people that we can connect you with as well to help you continue to move your practice in the right direction. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sachin, for sharing all your amazing nuggets from all the deep work that you've done over the past decades. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and always love what you do. So thank you so much. As Sachin said, we'll put the links in the show notes and for everyone else, we'll see you next week.
I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life, and certainly in business, because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.